Thank you, Pastor Todd. It's great to be here, and thanks for coming this morning. And um, for those of you that are watching worldwide, maybe not, but on the uh, live streaming on our Facebook page, good morning to you as well, and we're glad that you're here. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And as Pastor Todd said, we're actually finishing up this book this morning. And uh, it's uh, Ephesians, as you know, is a letter. It was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the believers that are in that were in Ephesus. Ephesus was a town that is in the city, really a very a hub city uh, that is in uh, now what's Asia Minor. Ephesus isn't really there anymore. Ruins. It, it's it. But in those days, it was a huge metropolitan city. There was. Uh, quite a large uh, intercultural population of people from Palestine, of people from Europe, of people from Asia, because of trade that all settled in Ephesus. And uh, it's to the believers in Ephesus that Paul writes this letter. As we've been talking about in our series, uh, we have developed a theme, Pastor Todd and me, around the book of Ephesians, which is lifestyles of the rich and godly. And the word rich in English is mentioned several times in the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and, and yet the idea of lifestyle, the book of Ephesians really has two parts. The first part is very doctrinal and the last part is very practical. And Paul weaves those two together and, uh, in his book, in his letter to Ephesians, uh, to the, to the uh, believers that were there in, in Ephesus. The last few messages in Ephesians chapter 6, we've been talking about the battles of the rich and godly. And one of the things that Ephesians chapter 6, that we have in chapter 6, that Paul writes about is the spiritual warfare. So we're concluding that this morning, and then we're also looking at how Paul ended the book. And so what I want to do is talk with you about priorities of a person who loves God or who loves the Lord with all their heart. That's what I want to talk with you about today. And um, we'll get to the, uh, the text in just a minute. But do you know um, what idioms are? Idioms are uh, a, a type of speech, a way we talk, especially in English, that we use an illustration or something that is really, it, it's a saying really that is not to be taken literally. And yet, uh, we use these all the time. Let me read a few of them that I found by the magic of Google, okay? Uh, idioms, or a few phrases that we use all the time that please, please don't take these literally, okay? Uh, let me, I have a few for you. I have had a long day. Longer than you? And here's another one. Eat your heart out. Don't do that. Here's another one. Keep your eyes Peeled. Here's another one. Can you give me a hand? Yeah, don't take that one literally. How about this one? Lend me your ear. Not that one. How about this one? I'm all ears. Nope. Uh, how about this one? Can I pick your brain? How about this one? Break a leg. Yeah, let's, let's not go there. How about this one? Cat got your tongue? Probably not. Here's another one. Her eyes are bigger than her stomach. I'm not sure what that one ever meant. I don't know. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Here's another one. It's raining cats and dogs. Really? Uh, here's another one. Curiosity killed the cat. No, we don't want that. I'm sweating bullets. Here's another one. Throw the baby out with the bath. Here's another one. Knock him dead. Here's another one. He has the heart of a lion. Here's another one. It'll cost an arm and a leg. Here's another one. Whatever floats your boat. Another one. He has skeletons in the closet. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. How about this one? He, or we uh, talk about the elephant in the room. Here's another one. He kicked the bucket. Here's another one. Throw someone under the bus. And probably the best one is... Liar, liar, pants on fire. All right, idioms. Now, I read that list, compliments of Google, 
um, for this. Paul's language to the Ephesian believers um, is he says what he means, folks. And I think it's important as we study the Bible to understand that what the Bible says literally is meant to be taken literally. And there are some phrases in this passage that we're going to look at that you want to say humanly, uh, really? And yet we're going to look at some of those. One of those is found that what I'm going to do today is talk about this at the beginning and then talk about this again at the very end. But is the last, is the last verse in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles open, look at the last verse in the, in the book of Ephesians, the last book or the last verse in, in Ephesians. And it says this, Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Now, for those watching, I, it, just, it just fit in my mind this morning. For those that, who are watching uh, on the live stream today, you'll, you'll want to uh, get on your devices, you'll want to get on your phones and tell everybody you know in the world today uh, to tune in because this, like this message today is really going to be like the greatest message ever. I just, want, I just want you to know that. Now wait, I'm smiling because you know I am not being sincere now, right? You understand sincere, right? We do. We, we tend to look at sincere, and it's in the movies. I don't know if you're a movie person or whatever, but we tend to look at sincerity like, like as if it's the epitome of Mr. Rogers, right? That sincerity has to be meek, has to be mild, has to be... Remember if you saw the, the movie, Tom Hanks movie with Mr. Rogers, you know, remember that scene where, where they're on the bus and you, you think that uh, they're, on, they're on the bus in the city and you think that like Mr. Rogers is going to get beat up and, you know, take your wallet or take his wallet or whatever. And actually, everybody on the bus starts singing, it's a beautiful, and I'm not going to sing, day in the neighborhood, you know? And uh, isn't that what we think, that sincerity is meek or mild, it's not fighting back? Sincerity really is being genuine, it's being real, but it's more than that. It means really to love God here with all of our hearts, with everything that we have, no guile, no fake. It's, it's being genuine. And so Paul is writing here and he ends his letter by saying grace, God's supernatural ability to those is given, that's his prayer, that's his blessing, is given to those who love God with all their hearts. So we're going to talk about priorities of someone who loves the Lord their God with all their heart. What does that person do with their life? So that's where we're headed. Let me read the passage. Ephesians Chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 18 down through verse 24. Ephesians chapter 6, verses, I'm going to read out loud. You can just follow along quietly, silently in your Bibles. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Verse 18. Praying always, again, Paul is writing literally. This is not a figure of speech. We'll get to that. Uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I, might, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, I may, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21, he's wrapping up his letter but that you also may know of my affairs, affairs or business and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, know our business, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren. Love and love with faith from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all those. God's supernatural ability be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. 
Amen. So be it. Let me pray. We'll ask God's blessing in our Bible study. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, dear God, that your word would be real and alive in our hearts and our lives. Father, mine too. And that we would be, hey, we would be open to what you have for us, what you're trying to teach us, what you're trying to tell us this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Pray that you'd use it, bless it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Priorities of a person who loves God with all their heart, loves the Lord with all their heart. In your bulletins in the middle, you have a page that has some notes there. Please get that out. You can jot some things down, although the basic outline is there as well. Um, Yeah, the passage ends with Paul's blessing there at the bottom where he says that peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul knew that he was writing, this is key, under the inspiration of God with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, genuine, who love the Lord with everything that they have. And that really is what we're trying to do today. It says, what does that person look like? What does that person do? I want to love the Lord with all my heart. Well, what does that look like? Not just a figure of speech, but what does that look like? So we're going to look at three things. Here's our outline for today. You have this in your notes. Number one is we're going to look at Paul's prayer life. There's an obvious question. We'll get to this in just a second. The obvious question is, which probably is like everybody's here is like, well, duh. But here's the question. What does prayer have to do with spiritual armor? We're going to answer that question. And again, probably all of you are thinking, well, that's obvious. But that's a key question here because almost it's like, and I I tend to get going and talk fast. I know I do, but it's almost like Paul doesn't take a breath. You know, as he taught, we Pastor Todd talked with us about last night or about last week about the sword of the spirit, and then it's like instantly, no breath, no pause, praying. Well, it is part of that, and we'll talk about that. And I want to suggest one thing to you, especially about that, and then some aspects of prayer that the text talk about. Then Paul writes about a passion for outreach. Paul, the apostle Paul, asked that we that they pray for him for boldness. You wouldn't think Paul's a guy that needed to ask for prayer for that, but he did. And then he concludes by talking about them, but talking about a guy, and I'm sure I'm butchering the name, Tychicus. He talks about a friend of his. We're going to talk about Tychicus a little bit, and if I'm butchering the name, I apologize, but don't forget I'm a guy whose real name is Melvin, And so people messed up, but don't call me that. Um, People messed up my name all my life too. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Let's, Let's dig in. Let's dig in. Paul's prayer life is where he starts. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. In the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the all the saints and verse 19 and for me. And then Paul lists some prayer requests that we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit. Praying always with all prayer. If you look at that passage, there's two words for prayer that are mentioned right there in that one line. The first word, and it looks like it's the same word in English, but the first word is a word that is like general prayer. It's just like um, the general things that we pray for. The second word means a specific aspect of prayer, that there were specific prayer requests, and the believers in Ephesus certainly were on his list, and we'll talk about that a, a little bit in, in, just, in just a moment. And so praying always with all prayer. Now I want to I answer the question, at least the question that's in my mind, all right, before we dig in and Look at what Paul teaches us about prayer. Here's the question. And again, all of you may be saying, well, duh, Mel, it only makes sense. What does prayer have to do with spiritual armor, with spiritual warfare? Well, folks, I think here's the answer, at least that I want to suggest to you. Doesn't it make sense that we need to communicate with our commander-in-chief? Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? Um, I'm going to show you a picture in a minute, just an illustration, which I kind of flubbed up and showed it to you already. But 
Um, do you remember the pictures, if you're a news junkie like I am, do you remember the satellite pictures when the Navy SEALs took down uh, Osama bin Laden, for instance? Man, in the history of warfare, uh, we've never had that technology before. You've seen the pictures, right? Where they can actually show from a satellite or you know, miles above, or, or a drone or whatever, but the pictures are incredible. That uh, the detail, like where the enemy soldiers are, the one that I looked at had uh, guard dogs. They could show the dogs and so on. Um, and I know you know this, but also by the magic of Google Maps, actually Google Earth, I want to, uh, I want to take you to our house. This is, this is my house in Clark Summit. A few years ago, um, I got a ladder and I got some red paint and I painted that star <laughs> on top of my house. And you can tell I'm being insincere. Uh, there's no star. I did, I did that, you know, with PowerPoint. That, that, that's my house in Clark Summit. Did you ever go outside, maybe I'm weird, and look up in the sky and wave? Because you know someone's watching? I mean, someone is watching. Okay, here's the thing about my dumb illustrations this morning. We're in a spiritual warfare. We're in a battle. Aren't you thankful that God is watching? Aren't you thankful for that? This is, this is an illustration that falls incredibly short. It does. And falls incredibly weak and incredibly human. Because God's not just up there. God is, I'm not going to sing, watching us from a distance. That is lousy theology. You understand that, right? Because God's not just up in heaven watching. The Bible tells us that also God is right here with me, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Not only that, but God is with, and God is there in front of me. God is there behind me. God is giving me the Holy Spirit, so God is inside of me. Isn't that an amazing thing to know? that when we're in warfare, we have that kind of presence of Almighty God. It only makes sense that if we're in a warfare, that we consult the one who has the supernatural, all-knowing intelligence, the one who knows, the one who's given us, who's guaranteed the outcome. And so in saying that, that's why it makes sense to me that prayer is listed at the end of this teaching on spiritual warfare. Yeah, God is there. We don't have to do this on our own. That we have God, that God is there. God is by me. God is in front of me. God is behind me. God is in me. God is watching in the, in the intelligence there. In Psalm 139, I know the ladies, some of the women that come to the Bible study with Peggy are kind of studying this passage already. But Psalm 139 Verses 7 through 12 say this. Where can I go? Rhetorical question from your spirit. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Praise God. Your right hand will hold me. If I say... Surely the darkness will fall on me. Even the night should be light about me. I can hide. No, you can't. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as a day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Folks, isn't it amazing? Yeah, we are in a spiritual warfare, and things get hard. But we have Almighty God, the omnipresence, the omniscience, the all, everywhere at one time, that's God. The all-knowing, that's God. We have that God. And it's not that he's left us here to flounder. So in <coughs> a teaching about prayer, I think that's how it fits in this idea of spiritual warfare, is that God is there. God knows the outcome. 
has guaranteed victory for those of us that know him and are, have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but also we can talk to him. So that brings us to what this passage teaches us on prayer. In your outline that you have in front of you and here on PowerPoint, I just have a quick outline of some of the things, and I'm just going to do this quickly, of some of the things that this one verse and a little bit, it's a verse and a little bit, let me read again, teaches us about prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. General prayer, specific prayer in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. And we'll stop there and we'll pick up what Paul is asking us to pray about, asking the believers to pray about in just a minute. So, so here we go. I think one of the things that Paul is teaching us about prayer is that prayer demands a relationship. Prayer demands a relationship. The prayer, and Pastor Todd talked about this, the sword of the Spirit. But one of the things that the, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals our redemption. He guarantees, we talked about that before already in this, uh, in this study, our relationship with Almighty God. We can pray um, because we know Him, because we have a relationship with Him. I get it. I've seen the, the plaques. I've, I've heard this on the movie, the movies. There's no atheist in foxholes. I, you know, I see all of that. And I'm sure a lot of people pray, like God help me, who don't have that relationship. Which is why Paul here is talking about prayer is not just a thing. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with Almighty God that we have because of the Holy Spirit of God who guarantees, who seals that relationship. We have that kind of relationship. But humor me if, uh, if I have, okay? And maybe laugh at the end. Um, I was at the college a few years ago, and our department every day, a boy would bring USA Today. And one morning it came, I don't know why even, but he came in front of my desk. And on the front page of the USA Today newspaper, if you've ever looked at those like at a hotel or something, you know, they have boxes of graphics and, and all of that. Back then, this has been several years ago now, one of the boxes on the front page of the USA Today had the phone number of the White House. You know my personality a little bit. I decided I'm going to call. I don't know how many... Um, oh, it's in the USA Today. I'm not sure they do that anymore. I didn't check, but they, the number's at the White House. And I decided I'm going to try to call, and I, I know USA Today is this huge paper, and now it's all online, so probably it's uh, even bigger audience, maybe. I don't know. But that, that morning, I'm in my office up at Baptist Bible College, Clark Summit University, and I decided to call the White House. I didn't really have anything to say. I was just kind of seeing, uh, can I do this? I got through. That morning, a lady answered the phone and said, good morning, real chipper, real cheery said, good morning, this is the White House, may I help you? And so I tried with my, now I'm real nervous, but I tried with my most serious, sincere voice, and I said, just like this, I said, yes, may I speak to the president, please? That's what I did. And uh, telling you today, this is a whole message about sincerity, uh, you're not going to believe what happened. You're not going to believe it. Uh, again, it was on USA Today. I don't know how many millions of people get the paper. I don't know how many thousands of people called the White House that morning. I don't know how many got through. I have no idea. But you're not going to believe what's happened. What happened? I mean, even telling you the story, even telling you the story. I was thinking this week, okay, I'm going to tell them that story. And I started to think, well, wait a minute. They're not going to believe it. And I'm telling you, you're not going to believe what's hap you, what, what happened. You're not going to believe it. I mean, after all of that, again, it was in the paper. I don't know how many people called. I mean, I don't know how many people got the paper. I don't know how many people wrote down the number. I didn't. But I'm trying to think, okay, you're, you're, they're not going to believe it. I know you're not going to believe it. You're not. I know. And some of you are looking just like with in, incredulous. That's unbelievable. But, but here's the thing. You're not going to believe it. They wouldn't let me talk to them. 
In fact, a few hours later, these agents, you know, blue suits showed at my office. What do you want? No, I'm just kidding about that. Sincerity message, right? I, uh, I couldn't speak to the president of the United States, okay? So I, okay, again, you know my personality, right? I tried, wait a minute, I'm going to try the governor of Pennsylvania. So I had to look up the number. Those were the days of phone books. We had extra phone books in our office. I got the one from Harrisburg, and I got the number, seriously, of the governor's mansion in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And so uh, I'm a Pennsylvania resident. I'm a Pennsylvania native. You know, I mean, I, I ought to be able to talk to the governor, right? I called and got through. The guy answered the phone and said, uh, good morning, this is the governor's office. And I said, yes, may I speak to the governor, please? You're not going to believe what happened. You're not, they wouldn't let me talk to the governor either. Okay, wait a minute. All right, I'm going to try the mayor of Clark's Summit. I showed you where my house is, right? I'm going to call the mayor of Clark's Summit. And I found out that he didn't even work there. Folks, here's my point of my dumb story this morning. I can't talk to the president. I can't talk to the governor. I couldn't even find the mayor of my town. But at any moment of any day, no matter what's going on, any moment of the night, I can talk to the God of the universe. You know why? I know him. Dumb illustration. He's going to answer the phone when I call. You know why? Because he's given me a son. It's as if Jesus is calling. I can get in. That's an amazing thing. That kind of defines this whole thing about prayer. There's no atheists in foxholes. Well, when I call God, I know it's going to get through because he knows me. And that's why prayer is so important. And God can write, and, and Paul can write this under inspiration of God and say, I pray always for all things in every situation because he has that omnipresent. I read that to you in Psalm 139 that God is everywhere. You can't hide from God. God is there. We can talk to him. That's an amazing thing. So prayer begins with a relationship. And folks, I mean, our prayer, other than God save me, I believe in you, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Other than that, our prayers are futile unless we have a relationship with Almighty God. The second thing I think we have to talk about prayer is that I think Paul writes that prayer always in everything, those kinds of things in this text, that prayer demands an awareness, okay? In 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes this to those believers, pray without ceasing. Um, yeah, and that's kind of a conundrum, right? Sometimes kind of a kind of a quandary in other words that I don't know how to define. But it's like, my, my goodness, I'm praying always, Paul writes. Well, one of the things I think that this is just practically speaking about this passage is an awareness, is there were times, and I've talked to you about this in the past, <laughs> in several of Paul's epistles, several of them, by the way, Paul writes to the believers who read his letters that he prays for them always in every prayer. I, I've often wondered how is that possible? Well, I think, I think there's no doubt, folks, that Paul had a prayer list. If you don't, I'm going to smile real big, but tell you, start today if you don't have a prayer list. Because I think there are things, Paul's language about all or always in all prayer, I think it demands that Paul wrote some things down. I know he's writing, I know Paul was incredibly intelligent, probably trained as a lawyer and as an educator and all of those kinds of things. But did you ever hear the phrase, right? Did you ever hear the phrase absent-minded professor? Right, you've heard that phrase, right? 
Even incredibly intelligent people forget things. So where does that leave me and you? Pretty forgetful is where that leaves me and you. And so to realize that if we want to not forget because there are priorities in our life that we need to pray about every day, then folks, you should write them down. You should write them down and have a list in your Bible that you pray about every day. There are things that are so important that you pray for them every day. And I think that's what Paul did. But I think here prayer is more of an awareness that God is there. To realize that at every moment of every day, every moment in the night, no matter if we're in the middle of the sea or in the heavens or in hell, that God is there. <coughs> Psalm 139, to realize that there's an awareness. Um, Peggy and I often travel together. I was talking to Andrew this morning. They, Andrew and Michelle just drove to Florida this week and back. I hate long trips. Peggy's, I was telling somebody this morning, Peggy's from, from Iowa. So we've made that trip from here to Iowa so many times. And I, even the very first time that we drove to Iowa, I hated that trip, and I've hated it ever since. But we've made it so many times that um, I'm going to tell you a secret about our trips in the car together. Peggy and I travel in the car. We've been married for 43 years, almost 44 years now, and we've been in the car a lot together where it's just us. We don't talk all the time. You know Peggy, so you know that she talks most. But um, uh, but you ever have such a close relationship with someone, and maybe all the women here are going to say, Mel, this is the dumbest illustration you've ever given, where you don't have to talk, where there's just an awareness of each other, and after a while that happens, there's a familiarity that happens, and I think that's the kind of relationship that Paul had with God. You're awake at night and can't sleep. You can pray. You get up in the morning and carve out time, spend some time with God. You can pray. You're at a meal and want to say thanks. You can pray. You're in the car driving for hours and out. You can pray. You're in a battle and facing an enemy. You can pray. I grew up in a culture where it seemed like we had prayer meetings. Remember those days? And I'd love to hear old-timers pray. I'd love to hear the majesty and the seriousness. But I grew up thinking you had to pray in King James language. I don't think you do. <laughs> Lots of times my prayer is like, God help me. But it gets true because I know him. And there's an awareness that in everything, especially when we're in the warfare, we can pray. God's there. And God wants us to pray. God commanded us to pray. So make a list. Pray about the things that you want to pray, that you need to pray for every single day. But then pray. This awareness of God that he's there always. Number three is I think Paul writes about a discipline. The discipline of prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. We'll talk about that in a minute in the spirit. Being watchful to this end. Remember in the Gospels, Matthew and other places where, where Christ is about to be crucified. He took um, his three most trusted followers, disciples, and he took them with him, with him into the garden. And he said, you know, watch and pray, and he went on farther to pray to his heavenly Father alone. He came back, and the disciples were asleep. But I thought about that, that watch and pray, being watchful to this end. Prayer definitely requires a discipline, which I'm going to go back to the prayer list thing. The discipline enough about prayer that we actually do it. I think prayer is one of those things that we talk about it a lot. But when it comes time to practice it, uh, we don't because it's not a discipline. The next one goes along with that language. And he says, with all perseverance. <coughs> perseverance.
perseverance, you know what that means, to hang in there, to last, to be faithful. That prayer requires dedication. I, uh, I don't remember if I've told you this story or not, probably, but again, humor me. I was, my first ministry, I was a, a pastor, a youth pastor in Michigan, and we had a guy uh, in our church, his name was Eddie, who was back then, I was in my 20s, and Eddie was in his 40s, and uh, Eddie had some mental challenges. He was in his 40s, lived with his mom. And um, Mrs. Olson would uh, let Eddie take one page of a coloring book to church, and he'd color during the messages. Color, one page. And Eddie became my buddy. He came by, he became my buddy because he had several times when I was in that church congestive heart failure. And I'd go see him in the hospital, and that. Eddie and I were buddies. We were really, really close. So Eddie, we had a big church, probably 800 people maybe in our church. And the pastor, the lead pastor would assign a different, you know how it is, a different pastor at every door, right? Eddie would wait and make his mom come to my door so he could shake hands with me every Sunday morning. And not every Sunday, but almost every Sunday, Eddie would come, his huge smile, shake my hand, usually for a long, long time, hug me, often drool on my suit, often. And Eddie would give me his Sunday school, her his paper that he drew in church. My office was lined with Eddie Olson masterpieces. And Eddie had a lot of health problems. He was sick. And I loved his childlike faith. I'd go to the hospital. One time I'm there, they brought in the crash cart. They're doing the, you know, the heart. And, and, and I had a chance to just pray with Eddie and watch him calm down. Eddie had that, that childlike faith. He did. Eddie's mom, amazing mom, Mrs. Olson, had a routine with Eddie, had a discipline with Eddie. Every morning they would get up and Eddie would have a bowl of cereal every single morning, creature of habit. And then they'd go into the living room, and Mrs. Olson would have Eddie kneel down by the couch. And they'd pray through the prayer list, and they'd, he, she'd read a little devotional to Eddie. I found out about this a lot later. One morning, Eddie got up and he was at the kitchen table, ready for his cereal. And Mrs. Olson said to Eddie, now, Eddie, we're going to pray for Pastor Walker today. Pastor Walker's sick and not feeling well. And, yeah, there were some health issues going on in my life. I found out about this later. Eddie got up, didn't even eat his cereal, went into the living room, kneeled down on his knees, which he probably wasn't healthy enough to do that, and started to pray for me. And Mrs. Olson told me later, he prayed for me for almost eight hours that day. We're friends, right? He didn't get up for lunch. He didn't get up to go to the bathroom. He prayed for his buddy. And you got to understand, I wish you knew Eddie. He's in heaven now. Eddie didn't know how to kick into King James language when he prayed. He didn't know how to do that. You know how he prayed? God, help Pastor Walker get better. God, help Pastor Walker get better. God, help Pastor Walker get better. And he prayed that way for me all day. Folks, I'm going to smile real big and say, do you think it's any wonder I got better? I'm here. <laughs> right? I made it. 
Eddie had that dedication. I'm going to pray. There's passages in the Gospels where Paul says about knock, seek, and ask, about knocking, and keep on knocking until you get the answer. That's okay. Paul is writing about prayer, and he's saying, prayer requires a discipline. People, I'm going to yell and say it. Get a prayer list! Okay, I'm over. I'm over the yelling now. <laughs> Be disciplined in prayer. Pray for things that you need to pray for always. Pray for those things, but pray for those requests that other people bring into your life and we'll talk about that in just a minute and folks keep on praying that's the relationship we have with God there's one more Paul writes about focus of our prayer in well interwoven in this verse in a little bit that I read to you Paul uses this word supplication it's a word that means to plead or to beg with urgency. It's God, help Pastor Walker get better kind of prayer. It's that kind of prayer, to pray with urgency, to beg. You know, I think we're proud sometimes, and that limits our prayer life. I think the Bible teaches us that it's okay to beg God. And it better be the serious, the important things, the... The supplication in the Spirit, he writes about. The supplication, and Paul writes, for all the saints, pray for each other. <coughs> Folks, here's how it fits. Paul is writing about spiritual warfare, and then he talks about prayer. And I think if the Apostle Paul were here, I think one of the things he'd say is, pray for each other because you're in a fight. We need each other's prayers. I think he'd say that. I think he is saying that. We better be praying for each other. Because we're in a warfare. We better be praying for our church. We, our church. we better be praying for our pastors. We better be praying for each other. Pray for all the saints. Pray. And for me. And so that's that, up, uh, that idea of supplication. We are in a spiritual warfare. That urgency. That pleading. God, please, please, begging. God, because there is, listen to me, because there is an urgency. This brings us to point two. Paul's passion for outreach, outreach says, Paul says this, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pastor Todd talked about that. The good news, that's what I may open up, that I'm an ambassador in change, <coughs> in chains or in bonds, that I may speak boldly as I, as I ought to speak. I, I, I've told you this before, and I know you all know this, that in the Bible, when a word, when one word is mentioned, this is a writing technique that is often true in the Bible, in an I'm a writer and in other pieces of literature as well. And that is when the writer says something over and over again, he wants the readers to get it. <laughs> so he talked about supplication, which means urgent, beg, cry out to God. For what? And here's what Paul prays for. He prays for boldness. The word boldly there means to speak own openly about something with confidence. To speak openly about something. Do you ever have an opportunity to talk and you can talk about something, but you're not really confident about that? Here was Paul's prayer request, that I might be bold enough to speak openly about my faith, about the gospel, about the good news, with confidence. Somewhere along the line, I think maybe it's, it's the spiritual warfare. I really do. I think maybe it is. That we have the idea it's okay just to live our faith and not talk about our faith. I'm not sure that's okay. If you know anything, I love character studies in the Bible, and we're going to talk about, in just a second, I'm going to talk with you about Tychicus. I love the study of people, but if you've ever read anything about Paul, right? If you knew anything about Saul before he got saved, if you know anything about Paul after he got saved, the guy's a pretty bold guy, right? 
<laughs> I mean, he's the kind of guy, get off the boat, start preaching, on the boat, start preaching. You know, gets, gets bitten by a snake, shake it off and preach. In prison, getting beaten with rods, singing, pre preaching at midnight, getting out of jail, going to the church, preaching. I mean, Paul's a pretty confident guy. He's bold. Ephesians. is one of the prison epistles. Paul is writing Ephesians from prison. This was a tough time in history for Christians. By the time that Paul, the author of Ephesians, finishes his writing ministry, this is another time he ends up in prison in Rome where he was martyred and killed probably under Nero. If you've watched any of the movies, if you've read any commentaries, if you've read any history books about this time, this was one of the hardest times ever in human history for Christians. Paul, before he got saved, was arresting Christians, taking them to prison, and laughing while Christians got stoned to death. The persecution was unbelievable, but by the time he got to Rome, Nero, this isn't in the Bible, but historians tell us the stories, that Nero would take a Christian, douse him in tar, and light him on fire as streetlights for the city. Nero was the guy that built the Colosseum where he would take Christians and feed them to lions for sport. And they would bet. Remember the Gladiator movie? It was that time period in history where Nero and the evil empire would take Christians and torture them, kill them for sport. So many Christians... Okay, you ready? Maybe this part of the message is going to be controversial. Maybe it is, maybe. But maybe it's for me too. Maybe it's kicking the pants time, okay? So Christians, that's the days when the Christians built the catacombs in Rome. And many, 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 many Christians, I am not judging, I'm not, headed underground to hide. I think one of the biggest weapons that Satan uses in spiritual warfare today is fear. I think if Satan can get us afraid, afraid not to talk, then Satan wins. So here's Paul in prison in that kind of culture. Some of it was as bad. Some of it was probably worse than I described. And Paul is asking his dear friends that have gone through a lot. We've just studied Ephesians. Please pray for me. And here's how you pray. Pray that I'm bold. Pray that I'm bold to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray that I'm bold enough to share the mystery of the gospel as I ought to speak. I'm an ambassador for Jesus. I want to represent him well. I think Satan loves to make us afraid. You know, we're often afraid of stuff that doesn't ever happen. The fear that it might happen. Don't you think is that's what happened in Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Our next series, we're going to talk about Old Testament characters, Pastor Todd, and I can't wait for that series. I love book studies, but I love to talk about people, too. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, bow down or I will throw you in the burning fiery furnace. The fear of what may happen often paralyzes people. Probably a terrible illustration. 
But don't you think that's a little bit what's happening with the coronavirus right now? Is the fear. We live in a culture of fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of what might happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were afraid. Throw us in. I don't care. That's basically Mel's paraphrase of what Daniel 3 said. God will protect us. But if not, we die. It's okay. Don't you think fear is the culture that the king tried to share and says, if you pray to any other gods but me, I'm going to throw you in a den of lions. And Daniel prayed anyway, and God threw him in there. He was thrown into the den of lions, and he lived. The lions were like, nice kitty. <laughs> you know, he lived. Fear is what often keeps us from doing what we ought to do. So Paul prays, Paul, get off the boat, start preaching. Being beaten with rods, start preaching. Singing at midnight in prison. Paul! The boldest guy probably that I ever even read about says, pray for me that I would be bold. And so I think one of the prayer requests that we pray for each other uh, needs to be that we're bold in our situation and our sphere of influence to pray for boldness. And I think the spiritual warfare is this, and that is I think Satan loves to uh, get us to not pray and I think Satan loves to get us where we're not bold enough to share our faith, to confidently present the truth publicly. I think Satan loves that. So it fits ideally in a passage about spiritual warfare. Now, let's move to number three. Paul concludes this whole book. Um, I've been pretty serious, right, for a while. But one of the things I love about Paul's writing and I love about the Bible, and it's the third time I've talked to you about that, is that the people in Scripture come alive, I think, in the Bible. And I love, I, I'm a people guy. I love, I'm not really totally an extrovert by nature, but I love people. I love to hear people's stories. There used to be a newscast on CBS News on Saturdays where this guy would throw a dart somewhere and he'd go and just meet people and the name of the store, the name of the news report, Steve Hartman, his name was, you can, you can Google him on YouTube, was Everybody Has a Story. I love people's stories. And we're going to talk about one in just a second, Tychicus. And I, I, I'm not kidding you. In heaven, I want to go find him. Tychicus. I love his story. But... Paul writes about this, and I just underline on the slide, that you may know of my affairs and how, I, how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved, bro, a beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you, I should have underlined that one, may know our business, may know our affairs, may know what's happening, and that he may <coughs> comfort your hearts. You read that, and you have to come to the conclusion that Paul was really, 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 really concerned about the peop these people. And so he ends his letter by writing about them. You know, we don't write letters much anymore. We write emails. And we have become the culture where emails are too long, right? So we text. And we've become the culture where texts are too long. So we've come up with, with emojis, Right? And I'm not sure what's next. You know, it's like I'm going to write a letter to you or a text to you or a note to you and I'll put an exclamation point. Well, maybe that's too long. You, and you'll know, right? And, but Paul wrote letters and he wrote letters and he concluded this letter by them. I think personal relationships were very important to the Apostle Paul. And it was important enough to Paul that, okay, this is before text, this is before Verizon, this is before AT&T, this is before uh, fax machines. Anybody use a fax machine anymore? This is before any of that. This is before, this is before mail. This is before U.S. Post Office. I went to the post office the other day to buy stamps, and they gave me pink hearts. And I said to the lady, do you really think I'm a pink heart kind of a guy? And she laughed and gave me American flags. But... Um, you know, letters, before all of that, Paul said, I'm going to send you something, which ended up, okay, being the letters. Tychicus was a guy that um, carried the letters, Ephesians, Colossians, for example, for Paul. Paul wrote this. Remember my 
illustration when I opened today was a guy with a quill writing. I and mean, this is a letter. And, and how, how on earth, Paul is in prison. How on earth could the people in Ephesus get this? Well, well Tychicus was the guy that carried the letters. <laughs> if you were to do a character study of Tychicus, um, I mean, he's an interesting guy. He carried letters for Paul. He also one time, at least one time, carried an offering. Again, there's no Venmo app in those days, right? There was no checking account. So how were they going to get the money? Tychicus was your guy. He was the guy that was so trustworthy that Paul could use him to take the offering to um, another church. And Tychicus, if you were to study about his life, Tychicus is one of those guys that he loved people. He loved telling people about how Paul was doing and must have known Paul well enough to be able to tell other people about him. He, you know, it's like, you know, he didn't, he didn't read the book. He didn't watch the doc- documentary on, you know, on Netflix or whatever. I mean, he knew Paul well enough to tell the people in Ephesus, let me tell you how Paul's doing and get him to pray. Tychicus was that guy. This isn't in Scripture, but a lot of commentators, historians write you know the book of Philemon, where Paul begs uh, to forget to him to forgive the slave. There are some people that say Tychicus was the guy that went to Paul to say, "Give this slave a second chance." He was very people oriented, and he was a guy. Just read what he did. Tychicus was a guy who was just he was that guy who was willing to do anything. Oh, take the mail. You got it. Maybe during times of great difficulty. There's stories in the Bible, 2 Timothy, about people who went to visit other people who put their life on the line. And so Tychicus may have been that guy that put his life on the line. Now I'm going to tell you something about Tychicus that I think is incredibly interesting. You know, in that culture, their names, people were named because their names meant something. That's a dilemma to a guy like me because I've often wondered why on earth did my mom name me Melvin? I have no idea what it means. I'm not sure I want to look. But I'm telling you, I've never, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but can I tell you about my, my family, my mom's um, choice of names? I have, three, I have two brothers, an older brother, a younger brother, and, and me. I'm in the middle. You know what our names were? Have I told you this before? My older brother, Norman. My name, Melvin. My younger brother, Vernon. Exactly, Amy. Amy's cringing back. I have no idea. Do you think it's any wonder that, you know, that, uh, okay, call me Mel. I, I don't care who you are. Peggy, you don't know me well enough to call me Melvin. My mom's in heaven now. Put one, put one and one together, okay, right? Okay, uh, no one calls me Melvin. The doctor, I go to the doctor's office, it's like Melvin because it's on the chart. I cross it out like, Mel, call me, you know, Tychicus? Now, this is interesting to me. And I'd like in heaven to go see him and find out if this is really true because it intrigues me. Tychicus means <laughs> by chance or by accident or circumstantial. So he was born, and his mom said, well, that was an accident. Okay, we're friends, right? And I know it's streaming around the world, and we're talking about sincerity. Um, Were any of you here? Don't answer. This is incredibly hypothetical. Were any of you accidents? Whoop, mom and dad made a mistake. And here you are. Or Tychicus was born and his mom looked at him and said, boy, that's a mistake. That's an accident. His name means, like in English, son of fate or son of fortune. But it means accident. So I think here's the thing about Tychicus. Is that God doesn't look at him as a mistake. God doesn't look at him as an accident. God 
looks at a guy like Tychicus. His name means, you know, child of fortune, of fate, chance, accident, and says, you have a purpose that matters for eternity, that God put you here. It's not a mistake. One of the things I've tried to teach our young people here at Wyoming Valley Church is that truth. You're not here by mistake. I don't mean here in church, although I believe that too, but you're here alive on this earth because God wanted you to be. And God has a purpose for you that only you can accomplish. And you know something? That purpose matters for eternity. The one who does the will of God lives forever, the Bible says. Your life matters, and it matters for eternity. And Tychicus was greatly used by God, a guy that humanly, they called, you're an accident, you're a mistake. And Paul writes this about him. Paul calls him his brother. Any of you have a brother? Humanly, it does. It breaks down. It always breaks down, humanly, right? My older brother, he's 20 months older than me. Norman, Norm, is the best friend I ever had. Norman, I fought. But when the chips were down, I know, Norm, he would always have my, always have my back. My younger brother, boy, I, he was... He was irritating, many ways still is, but he's my brother. So humanly, we understand that. But in this passage, there's a couple of times that Paul uses the word brother. You know this about other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the most common delineations of believers in the Bible is brother and sister. God thinks... Listen to me. God thinks we're family. We live in a day where there's so many hurting, so many broken families that the church has to be a family. God's terms. God's word that we're family. No wonder we ought to pray for each other all the time. We're family. Right? Do you ever have a son or daughter, niece or nephew, or a really close friend that's deployed in harm's way. Liz, you know a little bit about that? Your family? I bet you pray quite a bit, huh? Because we're in warfare. We pray. That's why we pray for each other. Tychicus was a brother, he's family. Paul writes, when he comes, accept him. He's my brother. He also has this reputation. Faithful, faithful, faithful. It means over the long haul. It was his reputation. It wasn't just, all right, you can't get anybody. I'll take the stinking letter. Is it okay to say that, stinking letter? Sorry. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that. There are, there are people. The chips are down. Okay, okay, you got me. But then they never do anything all year long. No, Tychicus wasn't that guy. Tychicus, Paul wrote twice. Colossians and Ephesians. He's faithful. Over the long haul, he's faithful. He, you, want, you can depend on somebody. He's going to be there. He's faithful over the long haul. Tychicus was that guy, faithful. Depend him on him. You're going to be there. Nothing, other stuff didn't come first. He was faithful. And then his role. <coughs> Paul said when he gets there, Tychicus, when he gets there, He's going to tell you my affairs. He's going to tell you about my business. He's going to tell you about how things are going. But he's also going to do that to comfort your hearts. So Tychicus shows up and he tells him about Paul. Not to be fear-based or say, Paul's yeah, in prison. He's really hurting. That's how we pray. But he gets there and he comforts people's hearts because he says, God is in this and God is going to win. That's what Tychicus did. Any, so you think about Tychicus, which is why <coughs> I'm going to try to go find him in heaven, is anyone can build relationships, anyone can be faithful, and anyone can encourage others. So in the battle that we're in, let's be that kind of person. So Paul ends his letter by talking about his prayer life, by talking about his passion for outreach, 
and talking about his personal relationships with the people in Ephesians, <coughs> but also gives them an illustration about Tychicus and a guy who's faithful over the long haul, a guy that was used by God to encourage others. And uh, he's a brother, he's family. Um, then one other thing, and I'm going to be done. This is part of a series. You understand that, right? And last week, Pastor Todd was here, and he talked about the sword of the Spirit, the Bible, the Word of God. So if there was a number four, I'm going to add what Paul wrote about in this passage right before, and that's the practice of using the Scriptures. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, our weapon that we have that has answers for life's hard questions, and it's there. So priorities of a person who loves God with all their heart, I think Paul would write about these four things, the practice of using the scriptures, prayer life, passion for outreach, and some personal illustrations of how this works in everyday life, which means it can be true in our lives today too. I can't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. <coughs> thank you for Ephesians. The lifestyles of the rich were rich in Christ and godly because we choose to live for you and live practiced in our lives. Father, I pray that you take your word, use it in our hearts and our lives. Give us that boldness, that confidence in real life that Paul prayed for. Help us to pray for each other. Father, we thank you for the victory for eternity that we have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. Have a great day.